Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I have to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist. But having said that, I want to be like me. That loud explosion you heard last night was the sound of the Premier League title race being blown wide open. I hope your ears have recovered. No shouting today, Ken. Uh, hello and welcome to the Irish Times Second Half Podcast. It's Murph and Ken here. Hello there, Kenneth. How are you, Karen? How are you doing? I'm pretty good. Um, I think we're all partial. I mean, I, I don't know if this is a throwback to our childhood years, but I think we're all partial to a midweek football domestic dust-up. Mm. And uh, that was a pretty bloody good game last night, wasn't it? Uh, Did you think so? Yeah. Yes. I thought there was a bit of... There was a bitch in the stick for a while. Uh, oh, well, yeah. Well, yes. I mean, th- that term suggests... No, that that was Jorge Valdano, wasn't it? Yeah, I was. That's I was, what he felt. I mean, a, a lot of us actually quite like people running around at high speed, <laughs> uh, clashing into each other. I speak, of course, of Spurs beating Chelsea two 0 at White Hart Lane, thanks to two Della Alley headed goals, ending Chelsea's thirteen game winning streak, ensuring that after all that they're still only five points ahead of Liverpool, seven ahead of Spurs. Mm-hmm. I mean, the season has been saved in one fell swoop. I I think you know it was it was important. Actually, it was a very, very important win for Tottenham. I mean, for a few reasons. I mean, for reasons of karma. Mm. You know, after last season, well, certain things happened last season which Tottenham weren't too happy with. They showed that at the time. Loads of them got sent off and banned for ages. <laughs> uh, but that—that that was probably a more fitting way to to make their point to Chelsea. Mm. Um, you aren't that much better than us if you're in fact better than us at all. And okay, there's seven points behind. I mean, the way Pochettino's talking, he thinks they can still win the league. And Chelsea are now in that situation. I saw Graham Sooners, for instance, on Sky was saying, oh, you know, they, they won't care about that. Uh, that won't put a, that won't take a flake off their confidence. They are so confident that they will just be thinking about the next game and how they can go on another win of maybe 14 matches in a row. Mm. And I'm not so sure about that, actually. I think when you get, when you go on those very long... Uh, runs. There's a kind of uh, it, it often has a bit of an impact when they when the bubble bursts. I mean, the mm-hmm. best example, I suppose, is Arsenal's 49 games. You know, when when they lost to Manchester United at the end of that unbeaten run, and kind of had a bit of a tailspin after that. They there was a they never quite they were never the same again. Mm. Now that's 49 games unbeaten as opposed to you know three months of a season. But I do accept your point that yeah. it is it, it is a wearying thing. It's, it's all grand while you're on the roundabout, and then when you actually get thrown off the roundabout, it's only then maybe that you realise that that actually took a bit out of us. Mm. Uh, and, you know, everything had been going well, and they'd been getting lucky, whereas last night, they weren't. I mean, last the most the, the most memorable image of Chelsea's game last night was Pedro not realising where Diego Costa was going to pass the ball. And Diego Costa, I think, well, not rightly, yeah, um, I, I saw this being written up as kind of like the two of them having a like a real go at each other. I I did kind of think that it was like the conversation that you have in team sports, where you know you you think you're on a similar wavelength and you're trying to explain your point, and people are a little annoyed. But I mean, I think that's kind of yeah, you know, that's just part of the the game, isn't it? Um, 
Uh, no, it's not. <laughs> not to not to have a big row with one of your teammates. That's so obvious that the whole stadium is has started cheering to make it. a joke out of you and is cheering. Oh, you've come back for more because because not only did not only was Diego Costa screaming and Pedro and Pedro was giving some back. It wasn't as though mm. Pedro was just taking it. Um, I thought Diego Costa was completely in the right. Actually, it was clear what he he had the ball. Pedro needed to run diagonally to, towards the left side of the box, um, which would drag the defender out of the way, so Costa then would have the choice of either passing it or hmm. dribbling. But instead, Pedro sort of stood where he was, didn't move. Costa decided to pass it because he couldn't dribble, and nothing happened except that Chelsea losing the ball. And, yeah, Costa wasn't wasn't happy. Um, but you shouldn't... No, I think I think fighting with your teammates isn't Yeah, but I mean, I don't think it was fighting. I think they were, like, they were having a... Violent, violence with words. He was using hurtful words. <laughs> you know that's that also counts it's it's the sort of the the uh, impression of unity is is it's broken is, the illusion is broken. is broken exactly um whereas Tottenham never gave any sense of that i mean it was real you know we can say shit on a stick you know that's that's the it's a misunderstood phrase you know um it wasn't it, it appears to be quite clear Valdano was not saying. Jorge Valdano said this after the Chelsea, the Liverpool Chelsea Champions League semi final in 2007. Didn't now remember Valdano didn't like either Benitez or Mourinho, the two managers at the time. He hated both of them. Um, and they didn't like him back either. Mourinho ultimately was to sack Valdano or, or push him out mm. of Real Madrid when he became the manager. So he got his revenge. Um, but Valdana wasn't really saying, wasn't dismissing the entire spectacle of what was a high-level competitive game with this phrase. Shit. He wasn't saying that it was shit. What he was saying, what he was talking about was the power of football, particularly partisan sentiment in football, at a place like Anfield, um, you know, a, a stadium. Uh, as he said, uh, football is made up of subjective feeling, of suggestion, and in that Anfield is unbeatable put a shit hanging from a stick in the middle of this passionate, crazy stadium, and there are people who will tell you it's a work of art. It's not. It's shit hanging from a stick. Now, he's not saying that the match was that. Mm. He's just saying this This is the kind of effect that football craziness has on people. They tend to think, they, they see something and they think it's better than it is just because, oh, you know, here we all are singing in this stadium under the, We've under all the floodlights. Up, so I mean, you know, this is great. This is great. It's not great. And he was complaining that it was too collective, too tactical, too organised. There weren't any back heels. There was no ball juggling. There was no impish moments of creativity, uh, and so on and so forth. Which, in Valdano's view, as the view of a columnist who's got to, you know, mm. who, who doesn't like either manager. <laughs> <laughs> was was the ruination of the game, but this was a game a bit like that. Two coaches who, uh, you know, are demanding a lot from the teams. You know, we've talked about Conte before. Um, you know, physically going out and moving players around, like grabbing players and saying, "No, no, no you need to move over here." Not during matches, but during training, apparently yeah. all the time. Pochettino, obviously, uh, obviously, this totally ruthless, um, hard, uh, demanding psychopath and his team his was the team that came through and it was clever it, was, it wasn't just all brute force should we yeah, we might as well hit some have some report on sport music so yeah uh, it, it wasn't just the question of Spurs outrunning and outpowering Chelsea they outtacticked Chelsea in the words of Sam Allardyce they um, came up with a plan which was to mirror Chelsea's formation, which isn't wasn't an original plan. Ronald Koeman had done the same thing and lost 5-0. Mm. They, however, uh, managed to execute the plan a bit better. They'd been uh, working on it in the last game, which was conveniently for Tottenham was against Watford, who are not in a good uh, place right now. Um, and the way that they scored two goals, which were exactly the same, does suggest that they mo- it might have been something they'd mm. thought of. Headed goals against the by far the weakest in the air of Chelsea's back three. Yeah, but crossed by the same player to the same player with the same <laughs> with the same outcome. I mean, it was it was amazing. Um, and Kyle Walker also involved in the in build up on both goals. So this is clearly, um, the, the, you know, I mean, you can't plan goals like that. 
you can't you can you know you can plan to to try and target that sort of area. Um, you can't plan to score two goals the exact same in one match, but it must be quite satisfying when it does happen. Um, Della Ali now has more goals than any midfield player since the beginning of last season in the, in the Premier League and is the ninth top goal scorer overall. I mean, the finishes were phenomenal. You know, the you can say the, the crosses the crosses were obviously great. The defending was terrible. There were some people who got on to me they last didn't. night. They didn't yeah. do that again? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh my God. People got on to me last night and said, oh... What about David Luiz? And I thought, do you even know? Where's your Messiah now, Flanders? Do you even know who who David Luiz is? You know, are you, are you? Can you not see where he is? You know, in this in this picture, he's the guy standing directly under the cross as it reaches its highest point. That's not his man. On the first goal, David Luiz stepped out as an as an alert uh, defensive leader will do when the ball's being sort of played back to a renownedly precise. Crossers such as Ericsson and there's a guy loitering in the box. Well, why, why don't I just play that guy offside? And he's out of the game. You know, let's, let's see what else Ericsson can do. But if I play that guy, guy offside, then he's out of the game. Well, either that or Antonio Conte is going to strangle uh, a referee's assistant. Um, and David Luiz stepped up and indeed did play those men offside. But there wasn't quite the same urgency to step up exhibited by his uh, defensive partners, particularly. Victor Moses, who, as we have to recall, isn't really a natural defender. I mean, he's playing right. He's been converted into a right wing back by Antonio Conte, and this has worked brilliantly this season. And it turns out that he's got a lot of the qualities that you want from a player in that position. Um, and he's obviously been part of a defense that has conceded very few goals. But I suppose that these, in these very tight marginal moments, the difference between a really good defender and a guy who's doing a job will become evident and it became evident in the, in the fraction of a second when David Luiz stepped up and Moses didn't do anything he didn't neither did he play Deli Ali offside or get close enough to try and you know push him out of the way I mean push Und, undone by Lilliputians again again uh, who oh David Luiz well the same thing on the second goal the second goal was was worse from Chelsea's point of view because the first was at least close it was, you know, it was a, a close run sort of a thing. Whereas the second one, what are they doing? You know, for some reason, you've, you've got the Chelsea defensive line, if you take Cahill and Louise, and then fully eight or nine metres behind them on the other side of the box, you've got the rest of that line, in Azpilicueta and, and Moses. It's suicide. That's just suicide. I mean, I, I don't know what they're thinking. It, it's impossible for the other defenders to do anything really no you're right Ken you're right uh, I, I, I'm shocked that people would would have latched on to those goals and uh, tried, to, tried to make some sort of point to you Ken yeah Deli Ali was Deli was clinical in front of goal he's, it was great says Pochini. he's showing big talent not only him we can talk about Harry Kane many others um, I thought Danny Rose I, I mean every uh, time I watch Danny Rose I'm like god this guy's really good and he's you know he's a likeable I think he might be my new favourite player. Uh, although, Rose. when I'm watching him, I do kind of think, like the last five minutes of the game, and he's like tearing up and down, like roaring into challenges. I'm just like, you know, fine, this is grand. But I mean, this is also why you couldn't like raise a gallop last April. Just like calm down, you lunatic. Yeah. Um, well, I, I mean, they do. They rotate their fullbacks a good bit, Tottenham. That's the one position where they tend to, to do that more. You can kind of see why they might, given how much they ask them to run. They really do. But Rose is Rose is able for it. Um, he's at a point in his career when he can do that. Very valuable player for them. Um, I mean, in midfield, I think that was probably the the kind of the most um, dinosaur-like midfield battle that you're going to see. You know, uh, Matic, Kante, Dembele, and... Wanyama. I mean, Wanyama. Suna said after he thought Wanyama was the best player on the pitch. I thought Wanyama was a miracle he was still on the pitch. Well, I mean, he, in the first half particularly, I thought, has Victor Wanyama just got a license to, to steamroll players today? He, he's just barging into guys, smashing them to the ground. I thought he was really good as well. Yeah, he's. I mean, he obviously had a good, uh, he had a good impact on the game, but... Once he realised the parameters... If the referee had given him a yellow card in yeah. the first half, you know, things, things might have been different, but... Obviously, that didn't happen. Um, uh, Pochettino was asked, because you know the way managers don't want to talk about 
you know, um, they don't want to talk about all the nonsense that fills the newspapers. They don't want to talk about the game. They don't want to talk about, you know, whether Pep Guardiola needs to show more humility, which is what Pochettino was quoted as saying the other day. And she said, I, didn't, I never said that. We'll get to that later, actually. They don't want to talk about stuff like, you know, who's sleeping with who, all that kind of stuff. That, that's not the stuff managers want to talk about. They want to talk about football. Hmm. And uh, so someone said, well, can you explain why you uh, switched three at the back and played with the back three? Pochettino says, um, it's too difficult to explain to you. <laughs> wow. Uh, Tom Williams, who tweeted that from the press conference, said, in Pochettino's defense, I think the meaning here was it's too hard for me to explain rather than it's too hard for you to understand. Uh, although it's too, it's too difficult to explain to you, does suggest maybe it's too, <laughs> look. It's too difficult to explain, would he would say it's too difficult to explain. It's too difficult to explain to you. You know, <laughs> is it completely different? Thing? I could explain it. But not to you. Yeah. So that's the problem with, with the football talk. Managers don't really want to do that either. Um, I don't know. Maybe, they just want to give out about referees and leave. Maybe we'll hear about it in his, um, you know, autobiography if he, if he, uh, if he does one. Um, but look, uh, Antonio Conte wasn't too bothered. He was trying to strike the kind of soonest pose. You know, this won't matter because he said uh, against Liverpool and Arsenal. At that moment, we weren't a team. Tonight, we showed we are a team. We're a strong team. We tried to fight. We tried to win or not lose. I saw the right will in my players. Don't forget, tonight we played against a really good team, a tough game. So, um, yeah. I mean, I think I think it definitely... It wasn't like when against Arsenal, it just looked, oh my God, this is going to be another... Chelsea are stuck now in this ninth rut. Mm. They're going to they're gonna have another terrible season. Obviously, it's completely transformed since then. Uh, and I'm sure... You know, the, the what we were talking about at the beginning, you know, that kind of, oh, when you come off a run like that, is there a bit of a wobble? Um, Conte is good at getting players into the right frame of mind. So It is kind of handy as well that football takes a break this week for the FA Cup. Well, yeah, exactly. Um, so so it's, a, it's a bit of a chance, a bit of a breather for a lot of these teams to, you know, uh, rest some players. But anyway, but not getting as much rest as he might have expected is Sofian Faguli, who... Uh, has had his red card uh, given to him by Mike Dean against Manchester United. They're overturned, hmm. which means that West Ham have had four of the last five red cards they've been, had given against them <laughs> overturned. Which, <laughs> which, in one way of looking at it, is great news. In another way, it's... Mm. I mean, these red cards are not all that often rescinded, and on four occasions they've been given red cards in the wrong, which, you know, you can reinstate the player, but yeah. during that game you're at a massive disadvantage. It's it's yeah it's it's bad. I mean, particularly first half sending off like that one um, in in a big game, or you know, I mean, so, so they're really contesting a place on the table with Manchester United. But playing against Manchester United is always a big game for West Ham supporters, as we saw last season in the last match at Upton Park. Um, but I, I do wonder what the effect of that will be on on Mike Dean because make a bit of a joke of him, really, isn't it? See, this is interesting. I mean, you know, in uh, say in the other two major field sports, three field sports that we have, it, that we watch in this country, rugby, Gaelic football and hurling, this happens all the time. Yeah. You know, that referees get completely undermined all the time. Like uh, in rugby, it's, uh, well, you can make whatever decision, decision you like. We'll all sit in a boardroom 48 hours later and mm. decide what really happens. The exact same thing happens in the GA. And no one looks at it necessarily as a major black mark against the official. It's just you made a wrong decision, that's fine. But, I mean, what you said there is that does appear to be kind of a popular uh, feeling in football that this is a, you know, can Mike Dean's reputation ever recover from having made a mistake and being called on it? Well, the authority in football is, well, obviously there's the referees who sent off all the previous um, West Ham players, you know, they've all had the same thing happen to them. Mm. You know, it's not necessarily, I don't know how many careers this phenomenon has ruined yeah but maybe maybe this one in fairness given all of the criticism that he's gotten over the last three days are, are there any name referees in the GAA well I mean the, the panel is really small like the panel of referees is really really so small you can name me three GAA referees oh David Coldrick uh, Goff uh, oh you know like there's there, there, you can yeah is there a Mike Dean equivalent Barry Kelly in hurling, maybe? Why is, maybe, just because Brian Cody... How did he Cody, win his reputation? Brian Cody just keeps giving out about it. Ah, Brian, Brian Cody. Cody's called him 
well, what did he he said something almost you libelous. You see referees who are fit as butchers' dogs, says Brian Cody, and uh, well, that was Alex Ferguson. Who's who was he talking about? Was it who was the referee he was talking about? Martin Atkinson, maybe. Mm. I can't remember. They they blend. <laughs> they sort of blend into one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In rugby, the referee's authority isn't as absolute. I mean, number one, there's video consultation in you know yeah. during the game, and there's a kind of an established principle of right after the game we go through all the disciplinary problems that the referee missed due to the nature of the game and you know sightings and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So there's, I think it's more. Whereas usually with the FA, like appeals don't work out. You know what I mean? Yeah, if you, yeah, if yeah. you appeal something, they're like, no, nah, sorry. For instance, in the case of Fernandinho, I mean, you saw how angry Pep Guardiola was about Fernandinho getting sent off, but they've confirmed his red card that he got against Burnley. Um, so so he he still has to do his four-match ban. Um, a couple of other things. Uh, Bob Bradley did an interview with Oliver Kay in the Times, which led to, well, he said... I mean, I just love the, the suggestion of mutual disrespect in this. It might be the most revealing sentence about the entire thing, the entire Bob Bradley Swansea uh, experiment, uh, which is Bradley saying, in response to the suggestion that he was given the nickname Ronald Reagan by players who thought that he was old-fashioned in his methods. He said, trust me on this, not one of those players knows who Ronald Reagan is. Said Bradley, which I think is probably is probably a misreading. I'd say I'd say quite a few of those players know who Ronald Reagan was. You know, it's he was a famous man. You know, I don't know. Are they that ignorant? Yeah, like so the mutual disrespect. Number one of the players um, naming their coach after this senescent, uh, you know, sort of fossil who used to emerge on the White House lawn, and then. <laughs> the coach himself dismissing the the knowledge base of his uh, footballers. I mean, I you know, I I don't think it's I, I I don't think he's saying, you know, I don't think any of them understand, you know, the central tenets of Ronald Reagan's politics. Mm. I mean, he's literally saying they've never heard of the guy. They don't know who which he is. is. You know, I think um, that's probably stretching. I it. think that's probably not true. But um, people like to cover themselves. The manager didn't like me. I didn't like the training. Whatever. If everybody makes a, makes a lot of money and thinks they're a great player and is more worried about their status, then the modern-day manager has an even bigger challenge. That goes for all managers. That's Bob Bradley saying, I think, some fairly insightful things to Oliver Kay. Um, you know, it is all politics now, the game. Uh, not, not American politics. Uh, they, wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't necessarily know much about that, but they do understand political maneuvering in the dressing room. Uh, the other thing just wanted to mention was that uh, more Guardiola talk. Guardiola had done the NBC interview, the quotes of which were out, but he was talking to Roger Bennett, who we spoke to when we were over in New York um, for NBC. Uh, he uh, And he gave another great Anton, uh, Anton Sugar quote, When I finish, I will disappear. You won't find me in your life. And just like that, he's gone. <laughs> Um, but it was a good, you know, it's a good interview. I mean, once again, when you when you hear Guardiola speak, you kind of like he is so scrupulously modest and correct in the way that he speaks about, you know, I don't I don't want to change nothing. I don't want to change nothing. You know, I'm I haven't come here to English football to be like, oh, you're all doing it wrong, and this is the way. I'm just come to play my game. You know, I came here because I. Because I like the fact that play, people play differently here, and to mm. try and test an interview, you know, he's he's kind of so. There's, he's unimpeachable. You know, you could look through the sort of quotes and, and be like, I can't. It's it's difficult to latch on to anything there and say, oh, look at Guardiola. He's so bad at hiding it, though. I mean, he says one thing, but you can see that his brain is thinking. Are you an exceptional manager, Roger? Are you exceptional? Oh, I don't know about that. I don't know if I'm exceptional. I have doubt. I have a lot of doubts, of course. But, you know, I, I I think that he isn't. I think he's not arrogant. You know, he genuinely is. And, and you can, like, for instance, he was talking about uh, his time. Uh, say, he's saying, I think it was in response to that, are you exceptional? Um, he's like, look, you know, I've won titles, won titles, but you wouldn't believe how good my players were. I mean, they're, you know, they're great players. You would not believe, you think they're great, but you would not, you don't actually know how good they were. They were so good. We won titles. Um and I was part of that. 
it wasn't oh Pep Pep was there. He it wasn't me that won the titles. I was just one of the people who was there when when we did it. You know what I mean? Did you believe him when you when you're reading this? Um. Yeah, I honestly, I, I do think he sees that way. And that's why I think he finds it a bit maddening that people say, oh, Pep, you know, of course, we can all win titles when we've got Messi and Xavi and Iniesta or, you know, Lewandowski and Muller and, and Lamb and Robin and these guys. We can all win titles. And he's like, I know. <laughs> this is another one of the things I know. You know, and, you, and that we're in agreement with here. Yeah, 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 exactly. You know, but again, say, for instance, Alex Ferguson. I mean, you know, he doesn't talk that way about his own achievements. You know, he doesn't say, I was just one of the people at Manchester United. Mm. He he speaks as though it's it, it's implicit, it's assumed, it's the basic premise of everything he's saying, that he was the kind of central figure. You know what I mean? And he, and there's certain players who made a big contribution, sure. But the way that he talks well, yeah. about it, he, he is, you know, the Ferguson he, thing is he kind, kind of different, takes though. it for granted. Well, they're very different. And there's, there was another thing. What were, sorry, what were you going to say about it? Well, just that he, like, that he came into a club that were languishing, Built a team, they won. Built another team, they won. Built another team, they won. You know what I mean? It's you know the the mm. the Barcelona thing is like well, he had Lionel Messi, Bayern Munich, they'd won the treble before he arrived. I mean, it is it is different. Mm. It's totally different, and and they're they have a, one of the big differences in their mentality is, well, it was in that that so called forward that Ferguson did for the Guardiola book by Guillaume Balague, in which he, he he there was a few pages of Ferguson comments about Pep basically and it was just after or you know he was obviously looking back to the Champions League finals he'd had against Guardiola um, and he was saying basically I just don't really understand why you'd leave a team like that you know it's not going to get any better you know you've got you've got like all these players are the best in the world you 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 know the club really well it's your hometown you're winning everything what do you? Why leave? You know, it's great. I just can't understand that. Like, to, if the, the idea of doing that was so foreign to Ferguson's mentality. It's like you're onto a great thing here. Why not make it even better? Guardiola in that interview saying he talks about being in America and how people in America move around a lot more than people in Europe. They follow their work, you know, from yeah. state to state. They don't stay in the one place for very long. And he's like, I like that idea. I don't like the idea of, you know, of just staying in one place just because you're. Comfortable. Yeah. Although the idea that you're staying there just because you're comfortable isn't necessarily true. Isn't true either. I mean, the, you, you talk about comfort zones or whatever, but is that like Ferguson was in the same place for however long, nearly three decades? Was he in a comfort zone? Not necessarily. I mean, the constant, uh, you know, we need to keep, we need to keep winning. I mean, it's mm. it's it's kind of like there's there's a there's a difference there in terms of. Like that idea of moving around, I don't think is necessarily. Guardiola evidently sees it as a good thing in itself to change and try new things. Mm. But what about? Or, but what he's actually doing is doing the same thing in different places. You know what I mean? He's a football coach. Where we go until, as he says, he he finishes being a coach and will disappear from everyone's lives and will be on the golf course. But if you know, I don't see necessarily the, the great advantage of. Yeah, if he became like a jazz pianist then you'd be right okay well I can see why you in your head that seems like a good idea because you've done something for 20 years which mm. has been a player you've done something for 10 years which has been a coach and now you want to change again mm. I mean you may as well coach Barcelona as coach Bayern Munich yeah yeah. You know, I mean, I think you probably could make it's, that argument. It's 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 quite conventional what he's doing, really. It's it's like what Carlo Ancelotti does. It's what Jose Mourinho does. It's what all of these you know they they're kind of uh, travel from club to club, do short stints at each club, make money, and so on. The exceptional thing is actually what Ferguson did. Mm-hmm. That's like the that's more difficult. Uh, there's this something temperamentally different between them. Guardiola likes to gets bored, wants to move on, but not getting bored is. Actually, that's the hard thing. That's a really important thing to be able to do, you know, to <clears throat> to not get bored and to keep, and nevertheless, and, and to keep working, even if it is the same thing, to keep trying to do it better. That's, um, I suppose, if maybe I should write a little management self-help book and I'd say, genius is the art of not getting bored. What do you think that? Is that a good starting point? <laughs> yeah, I like it, Ken. Genius is the, is the art. art of not getting bored. That could also just be looking at your phone or smoking weed or whatever. Self-help gobshittery as well to be honest but hey listen Ken that's neither here nor there uh, We sh- time for us now to talk about another man who has stayed in the same job for Jeez. quite a long time maybe for not that much longer uh, we'll talk Arsenal 
uh, right after uh, after the end of Ken's report on sport. See if you don't get this out, my mother will. You're a wee mate. Your bags and your desk, boom. Your bags and your desk, boom. I mean it, I'm fucking raging, speaking from my heart. Who would I want in? I've got big Terry Butcher in. Mr. Tate, how you doing? Not too good after tonight. You got the job on the technicality of a legend who recommended you. Take no beep, I take no beep, I take no, I take no, I take no beep. Just so soft, don't try to get so deep. You know me, but I can't yell me, I can't yell me, I can't yell me, I can't yell, can't yell, can't yell me. You have lost the fans tonight. You don't deserve the fans. What's it, your fans? Just need to fucking work, on it? You are nothing. You are a fool, and you are a waste of time. Good night. Oh, the Guinness Book of Records stuff. Get a grip. He's your biggest fool. Dion Fanning of Sports Show has joined us in the studio. Dion, how are you doing? Hey guys, how's it going? So um, Spurs obviously very excited last night to save Arsenal. Arsenal's uh, 14-match winning streak record in the Premier League. It's a great day for Arsenal Football Club. It is another another great day for Arsenal, and they can look forward, look back now on, on the, the game in Bournemouth as a, as a point gained, <laughs> rather than you know the catastrophe that their supporters seem to think it was. Well, don't, don't you think it actually was? Point gained. I mean, what did you what did you make of the whole thing? There was this whole drama with Sanchez and and Giroud and their contrasting reactions. I, well, I think you know it's the Giroud thing is one of those situations where as it progresses, you're going okay, like we need, maybe need to calm down about the anger about a celebration at this stage. But at the same time, there was something irritating about a guy rolling out uh, a, a choreographed celebration. In the final minutes, when they still needed to win, you know, if he'd if he'd sort of lost the run of himself and run to the, ran to the corner, uh, and you know, just kind of letting the emotion of bringing it back, um, you know, all out, you kind of could forgive him. But the fact it was like, let me remind you of my uh, my, my my scorpion kick, but actually reminding you that the the technique wasn't all that great to begin with mm. because he was kind of looking, you know, people said like he was kind of there like Eric Morecambe, like, you know, sort of <laughs> flinging his legs in the air. I have to admit, I actually laughed out loud when I saw it. Re- genuinely, I was, I literally laughed out loud. Were you laughing at the rather awkward body contortions or at I just the... thought it was funny. I just thought it looked funny. Do like you think it, he was going for that comedy though? I don't, I, I hope he was. Because it looked, but is that the time to be cracking jokes? Can see that's the that's you know? the that's the question. Like every you know, there is humor. Is, you know, there is a role for humor and ever, mm. but time is of the essence in good he, comedy. He reminded me a bit of David Squires' drawing of him when he did it. I don't know if you've seen <laughs> David Squires' drawing of Olivier Giroud, but he draws him. He's got a certain solid, mm. let's say, Kenny Dog leash like uh, body shape. Yeah. And uh, and and somehow that was highlighted by the kind of you know this the silly way that he was he was repeating it, um, whether it was inappropriate, at the time I thought I just I just left and it didn't occur to me. Oh, hang on a second, you know, there's still a few minutes left here. They could. They, I mean, it obviously occurred to some of the other Arsenal players and all of the Arsenal supporters. Mm. But when I was watching it, I thought, well, three. Well, you, I, it's, I it's always a, a good day when you come back from three 0 down. Yeah, I I have a thing about. The uh, about players scoring an equalising goal and then making a very ostentatious show of going into the net to pick up the ball and run back to the halfway. Well, there line. is that, yeah. The, you know, I, I think yeah. that like that is one of the great celebrations in football, one of the great underrated celebrations in football. I, I love that. The, was, great we're not it. stopping here, you know. But, it, but is that actually is that any more beneficial uh, to the team? Like because it is just an ostentatious show of you yeah. know, my desire. Oh, there's, there's, my desire overrides. Remember, you know, Cantona did it against QPR one time. Scored a lap, lap yeah. equal, and then just got got the ball, ran back, and then like the most ostentatious of all, like planked the ball on the, <laughs> the, the center circle. Yeah. We are ready to begin again, and this is like in the seventh minute of injury time. I mean, like yeah. that, like it makes no difference. Like I don't think it makes any actual difference. But a sixty-yard sprint is all you is the last thing you need in your legs as you as you face into that crucial mm, the crucial final last three two minutes. minutes. Yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't have. I, I I mean, obviously, I saw the reaction then. And I thought, oh, okay, well. <sighs> Really, uh, I don't know. I mean, it's it, probably the, con- the contrast with Sanchez was what really hurt him, uh, because Sanchez clearly showed that he felt it was two points dropped rather than one point gained. Yeah, and now there's this suggestion, that, you know, in some reports that Sanchez is, you know, his, his mood, his dark mood continued in the dressing room, and you know, he couldn't, didn't talk to players, and uh, he's frustrated and ready to leave. And you could see 
uh, you know, some of the tweets from Arsenal fans on, on, on the, on, during the game, you know, Sanchez, you know, my God, he, he hates this team even more than I do, like coming from <laughs> Arsenal fans, you know, this kind of, and like that's the, uh, and it's that strange thing with Arsenal, you wonder how much they can achieve when there is this kind of great sort of self-loathing from a huge kind of uh, like category of their supporters, mm. they're just ready to uh, to you know turn on them or not? They're not even ready to turn. They have turned on them, mm. and they need something to happen to make them turn. You know, uh, you know, in, in favour of them. Mm. Do you think that Alexis Sanchez, though? I mean, everybody's heard about his uh, his contract situation. Uh, himself and Mesutozo both looking for more money, do you think he is amenable to bribery? To more money? Yeah, I mean, if, if, is he prepared to stay with Arsenal, a club that clearly <coughs> annoys him deeply in some ways, uh, just, you know, for an extra maybe 150 grand a week? Um, I don't know. It's going to be a tough one for Arsenal. Well, like, would they give whatever money they're going to give to Sanchez... They'd probably want to give whatever, you know, they'd probably not want to give it to Ozil at the same time because if you're Sanchez and Ozil gets a new contract too, you're going, well, I want a lot more than he's getting. Mm. Uh, so I, I, I think at this, at this stage, I think he'd, I think he'd probably want... Uh, I, I don't think he looks like a player looking for a new contract as much as looking to kind of create, you know, the... the uh, to win some trophies. To win some, but also... To, to show his frustration, to demonstrate his frustration and exp- and uh, lay a path for this is why uh, I have I had to leave because you know other people didn't match mm. the ambitions of the club and you can criticise that too. You can criticise the fact that he's doing these kind of displays in public. Like you know there would be a school that would say that you know this kind of stuff. Really? Uh, yeah, I can imagine to be to be old football men who would. Uh, Look at that kind of stuff and say, you know, this is not what you want from you know you you don't kind of demonstrate your your frustration like that at the rest of your teammates. It's kind of for the cameras and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but I think there is a, there is a, there is a genuineness to it as well. And I think it's completely genuine. Yeah, I, mean, no, I, I, I don't think you can fake that. I mean, if he's in the wrong business. If that was a, if that was an acted, but 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 reaction. it's not so much as you're faking it as whether you should show it. Uh, you should know as a good professional. Should you not? Should you know that these things are better off not? It's like you know Steven Gerrard showing his frustration when uh, Fernando Torres was taken off for Liverpool. You know, oh yeah, that kind of stuff. Like, well, that was know. that was typical silky. silky but, but that it, was but also it was gen- during a game. But, as well. but but it was genuine. Yeah, it was genuine. Yeah. yeah, although I think in that case, in that case, I'd say more. Well, he is the captain, and he's this is a, a blatant show of dissent, which forty thousand people can see against his manager. Yeah, and it, but if you're got, talking about in the middle of a game, but it's still genuine. If you're talking, but again, he should as as a professional, you could argue that you don't show any of those. Things. That is true. It was his passion. Uh, yeah. I, I would see it though more. I mean, the, the thing, the moment it immediately reminded me of. Well, I mean, you probably were all reminded of the same thing, same moment. Suarez against yeah. Crystal Palace, mm. yeah. Suarez yeah. against Palace, it's the same same thing. And once again, here we have a, you know, a really good South American player who hasn't really won anything. I mean, that's, that's you know, Sanchez was at Barcelona for three seasons. He only won one league title, I think, in in that whole in that whole time. He managed to lose to Atletico and Real Madrid in two of the three two of the three seasons that he was there. So he actually is hungry for. Um, Four titles, I guess. I mean, I I, th- I got the that only impression. Di- the only difference with the Suarez thing is the Suarez thing came in the in the second last game of the season, yeah. Uh, when you know they they had the title in their in their grasp and and, and let it let it go. So there was a more again, if you're talking about the, the necessity for it or the, the genuineness of it, that was a real thing. Santos is January, and there is a long you know in theory Arsenal are in in the title race, uh, especially after the Spurs. Uh, win yesterday, but they're not really in the title race because I think Arsenal are are being Arsenal. Um, so you know, do you need them to kind of be showing this frustration, tapping into that kind of greater frustration, the the, the kind of the relentless anger of the Arsenal supporters, the Arsenal fan TV stuff that you know is is always there. And Sanchez, you know, does does it help whatever Arsenal are trying to achieve that he's showing this kind of frustration now? Well. I mean, we we can we can get to the reasons for that anger. I mean, in terms of how this is being seen within Arsenal, probably who better to go to than John Cross and the Daily Mirror? And as you mentioned, you 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 alluded to reports that Sanchez didn't speak to anyone. His report says Alexis Sanchez carried on his Bournemouth hissy fit 
into the <laughs> Arsenal dressing room, leaving his teammates fearing he will leave. Striker Sanchez threw a tantrum on the pitch after Tuesday's 3 0 draw, throwing his gloves to the floor and visibly showing his frustration of the Gunners suffering a major blow. Um, he was obviously furious with his teammates and the result and did not speak to anyone afterwards. Hissy uh, fit. One source suggested Sanchez, <laughs> known for his fiery temper, was angry at seeing players <clears throat> celebrating their fight back from 3 0 down with 20 minutes to go because he saw even a point in Bournemouth as a bad result, which I think is reasonable uh, way to look at it certainly before the game whether from whether it's reasonable way to look at it from a 3-0 down I'm not sure mm. but hissy fit that's the key phrase there the language there is not like a hissy fit is Ronaldo refusing to celebrate a goal scored by someone else for Real Madrid I mean that like that's you know it's something puerile and something like outside the realms of the actual sport yeah, that they're ch- playing. Yeah, ch- childish. A childish reaction. And, yeah. Yeah, and the one thing I w- would say about you know, and there's you know, clearly alluding to the celebrations from Giroud there. Like Giroud has scored really important goals for Arsenal this season, mm. and a kind you know he he has sort of exposed sort of fault lines in the Arsenal's recruitment as well because without Giroud. Nobody looks like, apart from Sanchez, nobody really looks like scoring goals a lot of the time. Mm. And he got the equaliser at Old Trafford, which was, uh, which I think was a, a point when you looked at Arsenal this season and go, right, this is going, everything is going to go the same way this year for Arsenal because they, they were so bad that day. They were just, it was just the Arsenal that you always see or mainly see on, on big occasions. It's a true thing. I, I mean, the, the, the team selections are interesting. I mean, for instance, Arsene Wenger says, Perez came on and had an exceptional game. I think Perez scored an exceptional goal of pure class. Sounds like you're sounding almost like a party of himself. Um, but if this guy is so exceptional, why is this his first goal in the league and why has he played seven games? You know, yeah. it, it, he's a 17, <clears throat> 17, okay, 17 million pounds isn't, you know, isn't the guarantee of quality that it once was. But, um, you know, exceptional, exceptional, pure class. Come on. Yeah, well... There is that question, why hasn't he played more? Why, you look at who Arsenal, again, were linked with in the summer, and this is what comes back to the Giroud point, that they don't, without Giroud, they don't have anyone who doesn't score goals, but is Giroud the player who should be scoring the goals for them? You know, they tried to get Vardy, you know, somebody like Griezmann or somebody like this. With Arsenal, I think you always, I so often come back to the uh, not signing Suarez time and what he would have done, how he would have been a transformative figure for them and it's just, you kind of keep saying the same the problem with Arsenal is you keep saying the same things over and over again because they keep doing making the same mistakes and mm. it's like I was thinking with Arsenal like you know you look at that game and you look at where they 3-0 down they get a point they played two days earlier all these all these all these exceptional circumstances add up to kind of oh this was again you know Wenger's going to come out afterwards and talk about their character mm. all these kind of things and each individual incident can be kind of can be isolated from the previous identical incidents. It's kind of like, uh, you know, climate change. Like everyone, you know, so all these freak events. These are just freak events. They're not actually, there's no pattern to them. But actually, there is a kind of, there is a mountain o- of circumstantial yeah. evidence. And there's an over, and they all, and the, the trends all seem to be going in the same direction. And, uh, and that's the problem with Arsenal. And I think it's the problem they, you know, it's the problem they, it's only, they've got six months now when they've got to decide what they're going to do with Wenger yeah. or what Wenger wants to do and it's kind of clear what, what has to happen at this stage. Well, I can I can see where you're... I mean, is it, people just have, have lost faith, I guess, and there's no faith that things are going to get better. An example of this may be in, uh, Ars, on Ars blog today, Andrew Mangan writing about Olivier Giroud. He says, I think the manager has to make a tough decision regarding Olivier Giroud. His contribution during the last few weeks has been absolutely stellar. Goal against West Brom to win the game. The goal against Palace to set us on our way to a win. Uh, against Bournemouth, people should be focusing on what he did with the ball. Two assists and a goal to get us something from a game which looked beyond us. Rather than focusing on his brief celebration of that goal, my feeling is that his reward for that should be that he's dropped. <laughs> <laughs> so he's basically saying, I'm not fooled by this. You know, Giroud, great. You've, uh, you know, if you look at the statistics, per minute statistics, I think he's the most lethal goal scorer in Europe. This yeah. season, you know, in the, in the top five leagues, um, with but but uh, Andrew makes the point. Look, he scored a lot of goals late on in games when he's come on as a sub. They have been important goals, sure, but we play way better when Sanchez plays there. Like Giroud, it's it's a man who, despite Giroud's goals in in recent matches, has completely lost faith in Giroud and doesn't believe that he should start. And that's the case, I think, all over that team and also in the dugout. Yeah, well, I think that's but but in the dugout, there's this other problem that 
you if you know that Giroud is the person you're going to have to turn to for gold and he's not good enough, why hasn't that been addressed? Mm. Why hasn't the strike you know Arsenal with their with their uh, huge kind of cash reserves now? Why haven't why hasn't that been, been problem been solved every year? And you're again you're turning to Giroud when they should be. There's no reason why Arsenal shouldn't be able to get the the kind of strikers that they're they're that they're linked with and that they they need to kind of to solve that problem and not have have this kind of uh kind of you know ultimately sort of like not first rate center forward as the man they have to turn to when they need a goal how much of the problem do you think is economic in in its origin in in terms of i, I don't mean Arsenal's problem in, in why haven't they replaced Giroud because clearly they have the money to do this I mean the anger of uh, of all these Arsenal supporters, um, the fact that that's the fact that they look around. If they go to a match, they look around this stadium, this huge stadium in North London. Um, they know how much they've paid to be there. They know how much it costs to buy anything. Um, you know, they know how much they're paying for like Sky. They know how much this club is making, and. It's just it, none of it seems to matter. It's just something that gets more and more expensive and more and more disappointing. But I think uh, every every problem in football, the first kind of stick people reach with now is an economic stick because of the huge amounts of money. It doesn't matter how uh, tenuous it is. You know, but is it more exaggerated in Arsenal's case because they're so rich? Because they've got... And the solution <coughs> to the problem does appear to be if you throw enough money at it, you'll end up with a much better team than well, they have. Cl- clearly is. You know, Roberto Mancini won the Premier League with a lot of money, you know? It's 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 like uh, it 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 could be done. Like it's 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 difficult to see what Arsene Wenger is adding that couldn't be added by literally anybody else. You know, Brent Brendan Rodgers, Eddie Howe, whoever. If you if you were the the manager of Arsenal with with these sorts of resources at your disposal, it's. I think it must be immensely frustrating to sit there paying so much money for a ticket, paying all this money, and then for the board apparently to be hoarding it. To what? There's something kind of. I want to go out and, you know, smash up a European Union funded library when I see that. I just want. Well, I there feel... is that. There is that thing about Arsenal that they do tend like the the anger. You know, with this kind of uh, crazed populist figure like Piers Morgan, yeah. uh, like tweeting furiously and you know with exclamation marks and and various things does seem to kind of mirror sort of Trump's rise in, 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 in America, you know, with, with Wenger representing the kind of, you know, the metropolitan... Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton, the metropolitan elite, you yeah. know, trying to, trying to drain the swamp. And he is and, absolutely uh, of that... Of He's totally that type of man. You know, he's from the same era, the rubble of post-war Europe. You know, he grows up in a time of uh, European cooperation, cross-border institutions, you know, and is now an, an antiquated neoliberal elitist... Very dismayed by Brexit as well. Oh, so, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Uh, right, I mean, rightly so. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, no, I think I, I think it's well. It's actually interesting when you go to the Emirates as well, and you see like there is a huge amount of of the Emirates, which is this kind of amazing kind of multicultural event. Uh, I went to Chelsea game last year. A friend of mine had a spare ticket, and you know the the stand we were in, which was a very good seat, and the stand we were in is just it was just every every nationality is there, you know, and most of them has to be said, are, are, are tourists, mm. who are people who are there, just they've got a ticket for the game, it's in London, it's Arsenal. Uh, so it's this Arsenal. is that immigration is becoming... Well, uh, no, it's not immigration. Loss of identity. <laughs> but but it's, you know? if, you're, if you're a long... Close up the borders. <laughs> if you're a long-suffering Arsenal fan, uh, you might think, well, this is great, and we've got this stadium that everyone wants to come to, but I've been, you know, I've, I've been suffering for too long now, and I'm, what, what's, in, what's in this for me? What's in this... Uh, in this new in in this new palace for yeah. me and uh, and um, that anger is something I don't think Wenger can resist much longer. Yeah, I I mean while being sympathetic, to, I again like I would love more than anything Wenger to win the league because yeah. you kind of feel if anyone deserves it in football, whatever kind of principles he is stuck to, yeah. all that kind of stuff, you would like to see Wenger do it. But I don't. it's, it's not going to happen. It would be great. So, I mean, they would make a movie of it if it happened. You know, eventually this 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 guy, eventually, it's sort of old man in the sea stuff almost. You know, this guy comes back. Yeah, after however, nearly 
I was going to say nearly 20 years. It's not actually that long since he won the title. It's 13, 13 years now. But to 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 do it again at the end of his career would be, you know, a, a very romantic kind of story. Of course, he would, wouldn't know the actual Hollywood ending, which is that, that he would walk away from the job. It would just be another 13 years of not winning a league. Yeah. And then maybe he'd, you know. Yeah. Now, I think, I think if he won the league now, he might actually... He might. You say that, Kev. I say that, but <laughs> but then again, no this job is like a drug. Um, but the you know the the anger that you're talking about, and I mean we've been drawing parallels with that you know this type of sentiment in other fields, and I'm sure some people will think it's not, you know, it's wrong to say that. Although it's actually one of the things that makes me most sympathetic towards him. Like that that sort of anger is not constructive. It's not intelligent. You know, he's been criticised. For some of the wrong things, I feel almost like when you see the guys on Arsenal fan TV raging, you kind of think, are they thinking clearly? Are they really, you know? It's interesting I, I question you <laughs> posed there, Ken. Sure, that would divide a lot of opinion. Well, I mean, I'm sure the online poll would be pretty much neck and neck there. But you see, I think the thing about the Arsenal fan TV is it really doesn't. I was going to think to. I was actually thinking about this today when we were, when you were talking about this. I can't actually remember anything they ever say. It's just it's the anger is the thing. The anger is the key thing you take from them, rather than uh, oh, good point there, Claude. Mm. You, yeah. know, uh, you know, you've kind of clouded. Well, I, I think Troops expresses himself very well. <laughs> yeah, they express, but, but essentially, what you're left with, the kind of what you take away from this is, God, these people are angry. Not, uh, not yeah. anything, not any. That's that's the that's the overriding uh, thing about you know Arsenal fan TV is let's get some. There's, there's going to be some angry people on yeah. on air now, um, and uh, it's. Um, and it's 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 a it's a very it's, you're right because like there's a lot of stuff that are but when you know there's a lot of points Wenger makes Wenger makes this very reasonable whenever you listen to Wenger he makes this reasonable uh, uh, articulate case for why he sh- why, why what he is doing is right and he talks about football and money and every every idea he has and all this sort of stuff but again. There is something that you kind of go, well... You Screw you, Trichet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're... Tired of listening to this. You're European elites and, you know, like, yeah. let's just... We're let's tired just, of football let's experts. Just, yeah, let's just take, yeah, let's just take our club back and, uh, yeah. you know, and we'll, we'll extricate ourselves from all the complications later. And, you know, in August when you're suddenly looking at kind of not qualifying for the Champions League, it'd be like kind of, you know, like actually how difficult is it to trigger Article 50 and what does it mean, you know, and all this kind of stuff. Like, we, hadn't, we hadn't really... There is no plan. <laughs> see, see, so we, we we might we're guilty now of of, of snobbery and, and elitism and and laughing at this feeling, this kind of feeling of undirected uh, and destructive anger, uh, uh, as though it was a bad thing. But what if that is the, the the will of the people? Is Arsenal not a club of the people? Is the is the function of the club not to is is Arsenal not there for the people of North London? And beyond, and if they, almost to a man and woman, feel as though this guy has got to go, the greatest figure in the history of their club's history has to be thrown off the walls, and we have to start over again. Is that not what should happen? Is that not what football, in a way, is about? But it, yeah, I mean, I, I think this is you know, I think he probably does have to go. Uh, I think what Ken is asking though is should the board get Claude and troops in to do the job <laughs> I'm not entirely sure right? is that what you're saying Arsenal needs more democracy yeah, I, I, yeah you're just no, you're, you're like Nigel Farage complaining that one career diplomat has been pr- replaced by another career diplomat yeah. you want you want Nigel you know you I, want, I, I, they should get a businessman yeah they should get a businessman to run Arsenal get Piers Morgan to run Arsenal yeah uh, you know uh, I mean the, the, on the serious question though he I kind of do feel I, I do feel I have to reluctantly pick pick up a pitchfork and start brandishing it weekly. Like I think, yeah, this is this thing has has run its course. Well, I think it has run its course, and I think the 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 reasons advanced for Wenger staying uh, become flimsier week by week because you can look at it each season and think maybe things have changed. Uh, maybe they're going to be they're going to be a bit more fight this year. And it, it doesn't 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 happen, and the kind of the only the only thing kind of they're clinging to now is oh well we, we you know Arsenal keep qualifying for the Champions League and so what really mm. uh, 
it doesn't if if they don't qualify for the Champions League if Veng, if it turns out that Wenger is only only that was something that was holding them together and you know this is a again some point has been made repeatedly like you won't really know Wenger's you may not really know Wenger's accomplishments in recent years until he leaves because if they go into a kind of post Wenger slump uh, people will be saying oh god he was really holding the club together mm. uh, now the way he's managed it's likely that there's going to be a huge amount of Again, it's like it is like EU law tied up with, uh, yeah. with with kind of British law. Like you know, Wenger has run that club. Everything it's entwined in everything. So uh, when he leaves, it's going to take a lot of work to kind of get it somebody else for somebody else. But at the same time, the, the the things they have to fear, they don't really have to fear at all. They've got money. If they finish seventh one season, uh, so, so what? It's worth. Yeah, maybe it. it gives them a better chance to win in the league. And also the. The Champions League, the fact that they keep qualifying for the Champions League is nearly, I mean, they keep losing in the Champions League in the exact same way. Like, they keep repeating the mistakes in Europe every single year in the same way that in the Premier League. They get they, they get, do the exact same thing every single season. They get a good game every couple of years, you know. They get, to, yeah. they get like, I'm trying to think. I mean, over the last few years, they they beat Bayern, but from a losing position. But yeah, they, they beat again. They showed their character in a losing position, and Wenger can come out and talk about. They the, did the same thing against Milan. They they were was it four 0 down and won three 0 Yeah, Bayern. They they were three 0 down and or th- three 0 down and won two 0 or something along those lines. Um, and even they even beat e- Barcelona two <clears> one. <throat> yeah, um, that was a. I mean, that was a really good standalone game. You know, that was the kind of thing. Okay, that's that's why being in the Champions League is worthwhile. But nothing came of the campaign as usual. But maybe they'll do it. You know, this is the thing with with Arsenal. You're always left with the kind of maybe they'll do it this year. Maybe this time against Bayern. But that uh, in itself is the frustrating thing. Like that's what's frustrating. I mean, but, lose differently. You know, that's the. But uh, would you take if you're an Arsenal fan? Would you take one kind of Chelsea in in, in 2012 mm. over 19 years of or whatever oh, it is absolutely. qualifying for the knockout stages absolutely. yeah absolutely I yeah. mean it's like Liverpool for instance haven't, have barely been in the Champions League yeah. last, but they did win it yeah. you know not so long ago and they also had a few years when they kept knocking teams out that they were expected to lose to you mm. know they knocked Chelsea out a couple of years later you know they, they did these they did these things that Arsenal can never do they never even they haven't even in all those years of European football they haven't really managed to create many memorable nights where you can say, oh, there's a great European tradition. There is a kind of a consistency about Arsenal without ever actually establishing yeah. a tradition, which is a, which is a strange thing. So if that's all you have to lose... Yeah. The, one thing that, the one thing that we could say at this point about them, though, is if you look at the next few matches, um, Chelsea have to play Liverpool, who also have to play Manchester United, Spurs have to play Man City. Um, uh, you know, so... so the teams currently above Arsenal are going to lose points because they can't all get points. Arsenal have to play Swansea, Burnley and Watford in the next three Premier League matches. So, you know, it could be the darkest hours just before the dawn for them. Uh, well, that's the problem. I mean, they, yeah. they will they will narrow the gap and then they might narrow the gap some more and then when it comes to the crunch, they'll lose heart. They'll do something truly awful in Mar- in late March, early April. Something really but, but devastating. Then, but then do what they did last season, end up coming second. Yeah, and then when, when, once when, it's gone, yeah. win and the last then, you know, you, And then Wenger can go into the next next year talking about how they, they came, they've just got to make the next step. because mm. uh, it, uh, it is a depressing weekend for him, though, because uh, he, he won't be up for the FIFA Coach of the Year award. Um, and he doesn't like the FIFA World Player of the Year award or any such awards. Uh, do you do you like them at the end? There's three nominees, Ronaldo, Messi, Griezmann, I think is the third. Who would you go for out of those? I'd go for Griezmann. Yeah? Yeah. Just to just annoy... To, just to annoy everyone. Most of the people in your yeah. <laughs> Um I, I, I saw a suggestion <coughs> recently, I wonder what you think of it, that you should only be... Uh, you should only be allowed to win this award once. What would Ronaldo do then? Concentrate on winning relevant trophies for his team like Champions Leagues league titles okay he's he's been doing a bit of that as well but that should be what he's aiming to do every year rather than well doesn't that just completely demean the whole thing though I mean, or does it even know well, no, over, the, over the last eight years six players will have won the world player of the year that patently were not the best players well I mean the, the idea is not is, is that it's you know I mean for instance Lionel Messi is clearly the best player in the world like that's not going to change. I mean, mm. I, that's my opinion. I mean, I think he's 
he's clearly better than Ronaldo, who will probably be named yeah. World Player of the Year because because why? Because because the team he's in, Pepe's team, by the way, won all these titles. You know, and Ronaldo will will get it just because yeah. of 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 inertia because of the fact that he's Ronaldo. You know, he's not. He's clearly not the World Player of the Year. I mean, he's he's won trophies, <clears throat> which his team. You could say they wouldn't have won it without him. Well, they wouldn't have won it without Pepe either. You well, know? I, I think the th- the problem with with doing that, which would be a, a good consequence as far as I I'm concerned, but the reason why they wouldn't do it would be that you would actually diminish the the uh, mm. the, the the award. And like, if Jamie Vardy was winning it this year or something. Uh, Maybe people wouldn't look back on it as uh, um, as fondly, and I think the, the 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 whole the way it has evolved into this sort of competition. How many times can Ronaldo win it? How many times has Messi? That's that that's kind of almost become the, the purpose of it now, especially as uh, football kind of you know atomizes in a way, and players become you know people follow footballers and people follow Ronaldo and people follow Messi, and they kind of you know. There's an awful lot riding on it for lots of the sort of mm. Ronaldo supporters, and think. yeah, and business-wise, and so on. And but I, I do think as well, though, that we're in the midst of a, a situation that probably won't, you know, it's not probably not going to happen again. That two guys could dominate something like this for eight years. Well, I don't. I mean, I, if you look I, back I at the previous that. histories of these things, yeah. you know, the, the Ronaldinho won it a couple of times, did he? Like well, in quick succession. But I mean, it, it doesn't happen that two guys are way ahead of. You know, France, well, France football actually did a, did a thing on this recently where they, they said what would happen if South Americans had been eligible for the European Football of the Year, which is what the Ballon d'Or, mm. they've always kind of, whatever. They only were eligible from 95 on when George Weah won, but the award had been always since the, like, the mid-50s. And they figured out Pelé, well, I guess Pelé would have won it like seven or eight times. I can't remember whether it was seven or eight. So he would have done it. It is kind of, I think, almost in the nature of football that one player is better than the others. That seems to always have been the, the way. And it's still the case at the moment, by the way. It's still the case that there is but one if, player if you, who's clearly better than all the others. But if you look back through the 1990s, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to transport myself into each separate year of the 1990s, but I would say that there would have been a high d- degree of turnover in the 1990s as to who was the best player in the world. Yeah, there weren't any... There, you know, there was no Maradona, Mario, there was no Messi. Sochikoff, these guys. But who, who was it... Uh, who was it in English football who was complaining about the pro- problems of getting players to join English clubs because players want to play in Spain... Um, because they find it's, it's an easier country, to pl- a league to play in for when they want to win individual Sounds awards. Like it could have been any one of a number of people. Was, yeah, was this, I, I'm trying to think. Was it, was it Ed? Was there a story with Manchester United sources? You know, Manchester United were complaining that they couldn't attract some of the big stars because uh, these guys want to have these guys want weeks you know, off. Yeah, it's it's much harder to win the individual awards. Um, in in England than it is when you're when you're when you're playing for Barcelona or Real Madrid yeah. uh, and scoring tons of goals. So if you did that, presumably they would be delighted because it would be like, well, you're only going to win it once. Yeah. Uh, you know, c- come and come and play for us. I think it would be much better. I think I think this mindless accumulation of, you know, individual awards is has a warping effect on values. Anyway, that's where we'll leave it. Thanks a million. Anyway, Dion again for coming into us today. Thanks, lads. watched uh, only my second ever episode of Black Mirror last night, Ken. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I think that Arsenal Fan TV belongs somewhere... We are fucked, blood! ...in that realm. <laughs> that we're... I mean, Ken and Ken Early and Dion Fang, two of the great football men. Mm-hmm. Two of the great football men, Ken, in yeah. this country. I'm a football man. <laughs> I have football concerns. 
all over this state. <laughs> <laughs> Sitting here talking about Arsenal Fad TV, and it's an actual thing that has influence. And I just kind of think that, you know, maybe, you know, we can still step back. There is still time for us all to step back. Yeah. And, no, know, we can't. Because there it's... Is, a, there has to be. There isn't. There's no... There's no way back. This is, this is happening. This is this is real, you know. And and, I mean, I for one welcome our new <laughs> Arsenal Fad TV overlords. Well, look, uh, you know, people people want to look. Even look at the videos outside the, the ground. You know, there's this huge. The, they've become get the game after the game. You know, mm. there's this huge bank of people all standing around waiting expectantly to see what's going to happen. You know, I mean, it's it's kind of genius the idea in a, in a way. You know, you got to say. I mean, genius might be. I'm, genius, I'm throwing that word around a lot <laughs> today. I'm throwing the word genius around a lot. I'm telling you, fam. <laughs> Look, I don't know. It's, I, I, I mean, I watch them, so how can I criticize? Uh, well, I don't watch them. I, I have to say, I, like, I trust you and Owen and Simon to bring the more egregious efforts to my attention I on this I, podcast. I'm not going to say I, I'm watch, not... I don't watch every episode, but there are times... When I do find myself thinking, I wonder what Troops has to say about this. And that is the, <laughs> that is the saddest thing I've ever heard, Ken. Well, You're an intelligent man, and I don't think that you should be handing over any of your brain acreage to Troops. I, li- I like Troops. I think he's got a good style of, of, of speaking. Is that Troops? We are... Yeah. Yeah, that's him. Yeah, okay. And, uh, yeah, I find, I find him an entertaining thing. Which is the whole... I mean, it's, it's the same with any kind of football pundit, you know? Mm. Would you rather listen to Troops or Phil Neville? Well, I just feel that I know what I'm going to get with Troops, which is Arsenal just football club blood. Yeah. Whereas with anger. Whereas with Phil Neville, the, the pretense is that he might tell me something that I haven't heard, or that I hadn't noticed in the game that I just watched. Well, you want to keep uh, living in that delusional bubble of yours? Okay, that's uh, pretty much it as ever. We'll have another show later uh, out later today. You can get in touch with us via email, editor at secondcaptains.com. You can find us on Twitter at secondcaptains, facebook.com forward slash secondcaptains. And we're always delighted to hear from you. Football, as I said earlier, takes a break this week uh, so that the FA Cup can start. Uh, but in the meantime, thank you, Ken. Thank you, Kira. Thank you, Simon. And uh, thanks for listening. It's the second time it's gone off. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 